0: Good morning. Nice, Good see morning. You. Nice, to see you. nice to see you. Nice to see you. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Nice to see you. You're well? You're well? All right, all right, all right. That's what Jesus does. I love those lyrics. And I believe it literally. He turns morning into dancing. Uh, Sorrow into joy, that's what Jesus does in the midst of uh, any circumstances. So we're finishing up our summer series. What made the church go? What made it so uh, uh, formidable? That's that's what we're doing, we're gonna go into Ephesians next week, we'll work through that through the next uh, eight or nine months. Ephesians happens to be my favorite book. I love all the Bible, did I do something funny? I see some of you laughing. What did I do? I was too serious? Okay, I'll try to loosen up. I'll try to relax. So today's our last, and, and what Luke is doing is giving us a picture of what launched the church and what made it so formidable, and we're going to summarize it this morning. We're going to be looking at the last passage in the book of Acts. We've looked at a lot of themes, but I see two primary themes that made the church so formidable. And we're gonna look at that uh, this morning. What, What made this group of folks and the gospel going forward so unstoppable? So, this last Monday, I went fishing with these guys. And we spent 11 and a half hours on that boat together. Now, I grew up, my dad was a passionate fisherman. I have spent more time fishing than I wished I would have. And my view of fishing itself is, it's okay. It's fine. It's not unpleasant, but quite frankly, if we're gonna do something, I'd rather hit a golf ball. (laughs) But here's why I go. I get 11 and a half hours with those guys. And that's a delight. I was looking back, and I think I got to have, over that time, a conversation with everybody. And we did this last year, and I had an enjoyable time again talking to people. But you're out there fishing. I caught about eight fish. The biggest one was about this long. Now, the guy in the boat's going, would you like to keep it? I go, no. Should I want to keep it? He said, no. (laughs) And it's a casual, relaxed day on the water. They got this bait, you go get some bait, you hook it up, you drop this weight to about 230 feet, you crank about 10 times, pull it up, and see if you get a bite. It's a nice, relaxed time. So it took about an hour and a half to get to our spot, and we sat there for about three hours, relaxed, conversation, putting bait on, you lose your bait, you go get some more, and you go talk. And they say, We've heard there's some bluefin tuna that have been spotted. We're going to go over and see if we can catch some bluefin tuna. And I'm like, "Okay." It's another different kind of fish. So they change our lines, because now you're going to fish on top of the water. Uh, I didn't know any of this. I was out there fishing and doing this thing, and, and one of the deckhands came over and goes, that's not how you do it. And he actually showed me how, how to set it up and, and get ready. So they drive over, I don't know, another half hour, 40 minutes, and I'm gonna tell you one of the most spectacular spectacular sights I've experienced in this world. Somehow they positioned our boat in the middle of bluefin tuna. And I'm gonna tell you, the energy on that boat changed, bam! And you could tell it from the experienced fishermen, I didn't know, but you saw these bluefin tuna, and they were encircling our boat. They're saying, get that bait out there. Get it in any direction. And the captain and the two deckhands, I'm going to tell you, we had this relaxed. Go get your bait. I'm telling you, there was action. He said, if you have that bait on there for more than 20 or 30 seconds, you need to get new bait and we hooked 10 or 12 of these things. And I'm gonna tell you, there's actually a guy would hook one, everybody'd have to get out of the way, and it was so much fun. And if you asked me to go bluefin tuna fishing with you, and there was a guarantee we were gonna see bluefin tuna, I would go. Because I had an experience that I'd never had before and it changed my perspective. When we talk, good morning to you guys online too, about what, cha- what made the church so formidable, it was their experience of Jesus. because our experience is the foundation of our expression. And I can tell you what people are excited about from their experience, from their expression. I've heard appropriately about folks talking about their cars, their kids, their job, their sports team. Not inappropriate, because the foundation of our expression of anything is our experience. And that's what made this church so unstoppable. Now, Luke, as he's written this book, has given us pictures of lots of folks. Stephen, Peter, uh, the, the primary one is Paul. You remember back in Acts 9, we dealt with it several weeks ago, he was out there persecuting Christians, approving of them being killed, and then he meets Jesus and goes, oops! Trying to defend God, trying to kill the church in defense of God, he had it wrong. Jesus meets him, demonstrating that there's nobody out there, and if you're here today still thinking about whether you want to treasure Christ and you're going, I've done some really nasty stuff, Paul was at least giving approval to the healing of Christians. So if you've done that, you've done stuff as bad as Paul. But short of that, this gospel, meeting Jesus, understanding what it means that there's a holy God who loves us, who ought to damn us, but he sent us Jesus, it lights us up. And that's the first principle. So we're looking at the Apostle Paul here because Luke has chosen to use him. Lots of examples read through the book of Acts but the Apostle Paul gets more attention because he had a key role and because Luke wants us to look at this guy and go that's what it looks like. Now in the text today Paul's gonna be in Rome. He finally got to Rome. He got all kinds of persecution. He's got the Jews after him. The short version, go back and read Acts, is he ticks off the Jews in Jerusalem. They get him arrested. They send him to Caesarea. The the Roman officials who who are judging his case can't find anything wrong, but the Jews are still ticked, and the Roman officials caving. Does this sound a little bit like what happened to Jesus? Wanting to cave to them? He's not afraid of dying, but he wants to go to Rome. So he appeals to Caesar, he has that right, because he is actually a Jew who's a Roman citizen. So we're gonna look at him, he's in Rome today, and and he's gonna be sharing, again, the foundation of what we're talking about made the church go. So quickly walk him through just the historical context. Paul has made his way to Rome, he's dealing with Jewish leaders in Rome, and here's his perspective. I've done nothing against the Jews, This is after he got to Rome, after he called them all together, the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. I did nothing wrong. I'm trying to help the Jews. The Romans found him innocent. Pick it up at verse 18. And when they examined me, the Romans, who were the governmental heads, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. The Jews wanna kill me, the Romans can't find anything wrong. And I love Paul's attitude here, right? Lord, help me have more of this attitude in my life when it feels like people are not necessarily always my advocates. I don't know about you, but I still have defensive tendencies. Notice here, in Luke records this because he wants us to see what's on Paul's heart. Though the Jews are trying to kill him. He appealed to Caesar because of his objection being freed by them. He didn't hold any grudge towards his fellow Jews, but he just wants to share Jesus with them. Verse 19. But because the Jews objected to the Romans wanting to set him free, I was compelled to appear to Caesar. Not because he's afraid of dying. Earlier in Acts, he's already said, "I can go to Jerusalem. I know they want to kill me. I want to get there for Passover. I'm good with dying." Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since so because of the hope of Israel, the hope of Jesus, the hope that was promised to me and my descendants, to the Jews, that I am wearing this chain because I wanted to bring this message to you. The Jewish leaders respond this way because back in Jerusalem, they were trying to kill him. We've not heard anything bad about you, verse 21. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. We desire to hear from you about this sect but we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against." But when he gets there, these Jews in Rome are fairly open. Following the story thus far? Now we're gonna to jump to the text. What made the early church so unstoppable? I've already told you, where I'm gonna talk about it more. They lived to promote the love and joy of Jesus. Father, I pray. I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us wherever we are in our journey with you. For those who can hear me who haven't yet determined they want to trust you, oh, Father, reveal the truth of who your son is and what he's accomplished. For those of us on the path, whatever we got going on in our life, I pray that you would give us a deeper, more rich experience of Jesus' love. <sighs> Father, this life is filled with all kinds of delights and all kinds of pain. The key to enjoying this life as you designed us to experiencing that joy is walking with you through faith, trust, and treasuring Jesus. May that be the foundation of our lives. Give us more of his love here today. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So they lived to promote the love and joy of Jesus. This has been the message from the beginning of the book to the end. Paul's life Was transformed. Now, if you'd asked me about my experience with Jesus the first 20 odd years of your life, it was a lot like that fishing trip Monday. It was fine, it was nice. I got to hang with some friends and nice people. I wasn't opposed to it. Heck, my dad was a pastor, I didn't know anything different. Until I was about 22, 23, every time they talked about evangelism, I felt guilty. Every time they talked about giving money to the church, I felt guilty. Every time they talked about Bible reading, I felt guilty. One of my concerns is that there might be some of the rest of us that feel about Jesus in the church like I felt about that fishing trip. And in my early 20s, God helped me see that I should be damned. Changed my life. I could have articulated the verses. I could have quoted you the Bible verses that told me. Did I think I believed it? I thought I believed it. But then God penetrated from my head to my heart. And I said, he should damn me. But he loves me. He loves me so much he sent Jesus into my life, into this world to die because he loves me. Now, you invite me to go sit to uh, bluefin tuna fishing, I am in. Because I've had an experience that changed my life. That experience, now, I didn't know it was that cool until the guys on our boat that are avid fishermen started getting excited and the boat hands and the captain started getting excited and grabbing pole. That's how I knew. This is cool. That's the foundation. After I came to treasure Christ, I never felt guilty about giving, sharing the Bible, or evangelism. You know why? Because I was motivated to give financially to promoting the love of Jesus. I liked reading the Bible because Jesus would talk to me directly. I didn't even have to listen to somebody else like you're listening to me right now. This is where our passion for being first-handers comes from. And I just wanted to share with everybody I knew how good this Jesus is. They lived to promote the love and joy of Jesus. That's the calling of all who come to treasure Christ. We experience His love, our experience is the foundation of our expression. That's the way life works. I remember a pastoral gathering after I'd come to faith. I'm probably five years in the pastorate, so this is probably 33, 34 years ago. I understand why pastors have these conversations, but the conversation was this. What do you do to motivate your people to evangelize? 33, 34 years later, it's still true. I spend very little time thinking about that. Here's what I spend almost all my time thinking about. How can we talk about Jesus and express his love in ways that will help people more fully experience it? Because my deep conviction is our expression of anything flows from our experience. I want people to experience this Jesus. Bluefin tuna fishing is fun and I'll go spend an afternoon doing it, but this Jesus is way better than bluefin tuna fishing. Paul's example again. They were confident many would come to treasure Jesus. And when they appointed a day for him, he's there in Rome now, they came to him at the lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, who Jesus is, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses, this is the guy that was promised by Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said. So he got to Rome, he's got these Jews in front of him, and some come to believe. Because they were confident My experience, I share that with others. Some of them are going to have that experience. And they knew many would reject Jesus. This is a message from the Old Testament into the New Testament all the way through. You go, well, this is discouraging. This is depressing. The reason the biblical authors, including Jesus himself, prepare us this they don't want us to be discouraged when we go out there with this life-changing message, and people don't jump on the boat. I don't know why more people through me haven't come to faith. I'm going to tell you. I can articulate this pretty clearly. I think I bring a reasonable passion. Now, yeah, some would argue unreasonable on the wrong, on the far end of the spectrum. I don't know why. Does it grieve me? Yeah. Am I disappointed? Yeah. Does it discourage me from continuing to share? No. Because the biblical authors prepared me for this. Pick it up at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. This is a message all through the Bible to prepare us disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. This quote from Isaiah 6 is also one that Jesus said. He's not trying to discourage the disciples. He's trying to warn folks, don't be a part of this group that Isaiah predicted was there and those who he's entrusted with the gospel. Don't you get discouraged when everybody doesn't get lit up about Jesus. How people don't get more excited about this... Caused me grief and sorrow? Yeah. Does it discourage me? No, because I was told it's coming. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. We expect it. Jesus told a little parable. It's the parable of the sower. Most times, if you read or even I've heard that, people call it the parable of the soils. It's not the parable of the soils. Go back and see what Jesus called it. He called it the parable of the sower. He's talking to the disciples and he said, You guys go scatter the seed. Some's going to fall on the path. Some's going to fall on the rocky. Some's going to fall on the thorny. It's going to grow up and then it's going to die. But some of it will grow 10, 30, 60, 100 fold. The message of the parable of the sower is keep on sowing and don't get discouraged when there are people resistant and don't embrace this. You just keep sowing. And they boldly proclaim Jesus in all circumstances. Verse 28, therefore let it be known to you, as he continues after the quote of Isaiah, known to you, salvation of God is now said to the Gentiles. I'm starting with the Jews first, but it's also going to the Gentiles. And they will listen. We're grateful that that happened, for most of us were Gentiles. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He wasn't a an leech. And he welcomed all who came to him. Folks, and for those of you online, I'm going to get back in the camera for a second, but I just want you to look at that text. This is about how the church goes forward. What made it so unstoppable? Look at the last sentence that Luke puts here. Please do not miss it. Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. I would add no matter what their views on sexuality were, no matter what their views on politics were, didn't matter. Didn't matter their views on abortion. Did not matter. He welcomed them all. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the love and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. He'd had a life transform experience with Jesus that changed him forever and without hindrance. Hear what Luke means. The Roman officials and the Jews here in Rome are just not stopping him from teaching. He's not facing opposition like he did when he was in Israel. We could say amen and close it. What made the church so unstoppable? Here's what Luke wants us to see proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, because they were more excited about Jesus than bluefin tuna. Now, bluefin tuna, if you've never had the experience, if I wasn't even fishing, just sitting in a boat watching those 120 pounds on average, I had to Google it. It was spectacular. but not even worth mentioning compared to Jesus. So there's the first point of the text. Now, we got one other point here that flows out of that first one. We've seen it all the way through the book. They have this life-transforming experience of Jesus. It sets them on this course where their purpose in their life is to enjoy Jesus and help other people enjoy Jesus, no matter what their jobs are. Whether they're going to school or a student, whether they're working in the business world, whether they're managing things at home, that was their purpose. And they trusted that God was in every circumstance. You guys remember when we looked at Stephen, he was stoned? One of my favorite biblical texts. I preached that when I candidated here just over 20 years ago. I preached that same text. Stephen opens his mouth. Everybody gets persecuted. He gets put to death. And the church is launched. And Luke makes sure to say, these people who were running for their lives, literally, leaving their jobs, leaving their family, leaving their homes, what does Luke tell us they went doing? Talking about Jesus. So, let's look here. The plan. We're looking at a higher level. One of the themes that Luke has been developing through the book, God's sovereign plan. We could look in countless ways. We're just gonna talk here about Paul's getting to Rome. If you go back to chapter 19, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, led by God to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now when he goes to Jerusalem, things get ugly, that's where it gets really ugly, but I gotta go to Rome. God promised Paul he would get to Rome. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. God promised Paul he's going to testify before Caesar. Anybody know who Caesar is at this time? Say it again. Nero. If you don't know who Nero is, Google him. He was a really, 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 really bad guy. If we're talking about politics, Nero, he's bad. Maybe Hitler's a little farther over there, but Nero is a bad guy. A few years later, Rome burns. He's going to blame the Christians and burn a bunch of them. And uh, uh, this very night, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar promised by God. Now, If you're reading through the book of Acts, you got these promises spursed in there by Luke. Luke is an exceptional writer. But if you go through this, here's the question you're going to ask. Is he going to get there? I mean, this guy's... This guy's Because if I'm Paul, I'm like, Lord, I'd like first class ticket on a luxury liner. And I don't, I don't want one of those three star. I'd like one of those five star cruises. But the question as you're going through the text, as you're reading through this, go back and, and pick it up, is is he ever gonna get there? He wants to go, God makes him a promise. He's arrested in Jerusalem, things get really ugly, they're trying to kill him. He has countless trials, Caesarea, Jerusalem, all over places. He's imprisoned in Caesarea, he, he, he's assassination threat from the Jews in several places. He's shipwrecked and nearly drowned, three shipwrecks. He's severely abused by soldiers, and he's nearly killed by a poisonous snake. He was led by the Spirit to want to go to Rome to do just what he did. God said, you're going to get there. You're going to testify before Caesar. And if you didn't trust in God's sovereignty... It was a terribly ugly journey. He's going to get there as a prisoner. Did he get there? Don't miss it. Do not miss this. These biblical authors, they're developing themes in the text, they got overarching themes that move through the text, this is a big one. He was gonna get there, ultimately why? Because he decided no. Because God had decided he was gonna get there and preach. Think about just whatever your background, denominationally, Rome has kind of been the center for a lot of stuff. It's the center of the world. He's going to go talk to Caesar, the most important political figure, the guy essentially ruling the world at the time. And how he gets there through all those circumstances, the culmination, Paul gets to Rome, and he gives the gospel to Jews and Gentiles there. And he's welcoming them all, and some are saved and some reject, but he is preaching, and I think there's a chance, though Luke doesn't record it, that he gave Jesus To Nero. Don't know for certain, but he was promised to appear by God before Caesar. Are you kidding me? How did he get there? We'd look at it and go, this was disastrous. In our world, people would go, he was lucky. Go back and read Acts. He'd had a life-transforming experience of Jesus, and he trusted in every circumstance that God was using the circumstance to draw him closer to Jesus, and using in every circumstance, this was an illustration, as miserable as life was, to testify to how satisfying Jesus is, because the circumstances stink. When we have this trust, you've heard me say before, I believe it produces a joyful, non-anxious presence. Not panic, not worry. Does it remove the grief and the sorrow? Let me assure you it does not. When people I care about and I finally get to that place in relationship where I get to share the truth of Christ and they don't accept, Doesn't seem to make sense to him yet. It hurts. Do I give up? No, because I'm convinced God's not done with them. God's not done with our relationship. I don't know what he's going to do. And God told me, not everybody's going to respond to these words of life. So, what made the early church so formidable? You guys, I hope, got the first point the big idea of the book. It had a life-transforming experience of Jesus. They found a purpose, a meaning, and a joy that they couldn't find in bluefin tuna. Now, in case I wasn't clear, and you're going bluefin tuna fishing, I'm happy to accompany you now because I had an experience that changed my view of bluefin tuna fishing. But if I go and we get the opportunity, I'll probably be more interested in talking about Jesus than other stuff. (sighs) That's the foundation right there. Then the other thing, The unmistakable, overwhelming conviction that God was working in and through them in all circumstances. Now, let me assure you, this is really easy to say. How many of you could repeat those words? May I see your hands? Can you repeat those words? We put Romans 8.28, a plaque on on our wall, or have it on our coffee table. Here's the hard part. Believe in it. Guess what kind of circumstances God uses as a gift to help us grow in this belief. Anybody want to ponder a guess? Really ugly ones. <laughs> Why does he allow that in our life? Because he loves us. To draw us to himself and to use the satisfaction we find in him in the ugly circumstances to be a testimony to all those around us of how satisfying and how joy-producing Jesus is. Doesn't take away the sorrow, doesn't take away the grief, but produces a non-anxious, joyful presence in the midst of really, I'm searching for a word here. I'll just go lousy. You can put in a a description stronger than that, because that's in my head. (laughs) That's the way God works. And this is a gift. I got two buddies. I shared with you about them two weeks ago, keeping in touch with. Both love Christ, both from our church family in Seattle. One who's got a grandson that's dying of cancer. I've walked with Jesus about 40 years. I think I'm decent at being a first-hander, reading the Bible. I think I'm decent. 64 years old. And just having a little connection with this guy in faith as he handles this. Can't tell you what it means to my heart and to my faith got another buddy up there I told you about, colon cancer, inoperable. They started palliative care, 57 years old, one of these really skinny, healthy guys. All his life. And his response, he's got one of these carrying bridge, and what I love about both these guys, they don't give the simple, easy, too prevalent, churchy answers. If you'll know what I mean by that, and if you don't, talk to me afterwards. They're straightforward about the pain. They're straightforward about the grief. But they're straightforward about the hope that they have in Jesus and their conviction that He's working in that. So, what are we going to do here going forward? Unstoppable. First, pursue Jesus with all our might. Have you heard that one from me before? I got nothing better. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group, talk to somebody. Hang out with folks. Read the Bible. Pursue Jesus with all our might because the foundation of all this, I love Jesus more today than when my life got turned around 40 years ago. I am more passionate about helping people see Jesus today than I was 40 years ago when my life was transformed. Am I far from perfect? I am so far from perfect. I got so many weaknesses and faults. Ask my wife. She would be happy to share. (laughs) She keeps about a 17-page single-spaced list in her purse. You can see it. She'll photocopy it for you. Ask God to increase our confidence. The way he does that is through difficult circumstances and people around us that face that and encourage us as we watch them. 64, 40 years with Jesus and these two buddies of mine encourages my heart. This Jesus guy is real. I see what he's doing in their lives in like the worst of circumstances. For me, a kid or grandkid, I know some of you face that stuff. And then, Trust that the Jesus who is unstoppable. We're clay jars. None of us that perfect. We're still in the process of growing. I think sometimes we think we got to get to a certain place in Jesus and in our faith before. No, no, no! If you treasure him, he's already done the miracle. You got everything you need to be sharing his love with others. Everything. Are you going to keep growing? That's number one up there. Let's just trust with all our faults, with all our weaknesses, with all we have still to learn about him and his love. He's using us right now, today, wherever we live because he is unstoppable.